monumental sports and entertainment along with PressBox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at StanTheFan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And welcome into this Saturday morning, November the 11th. I'm Craig Heiss, sitting in for Stan the Fan. This is the second week in a row we've had to do this. Uh, unexpected uh, circumstances, and Stan is taking the uh, day off today. But we're here, and we'll be taking you right up and through 12 o'clock and talking nothing but baseball and maybe a few other things here and there. These two, next two hours are going to be the best two hours well, I wouldn't go that far this week, <laughs> but anyway. I'm Craig Heist, uh, as I said, sitting in for Stan and Bonza Tufa is uh, my capable assistant today to make sure this thing gets on the air. Capable, and I like that. Capable, capable. there you go. And uh, we want to remind everyone that uh, you want to listen to the show. You can do that on pressboxonline.com slash radio. If you are on Facebook... You can watch us on the live stream, and that's Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. There you go. We want you to go to that page. We want you to like it, and we want you to share it because that's how we build viewership. That's how we build numbers, and that's what makes this show go. And you get to see two handsome men for two hours. And again, I wouldn't go that far, <laughs> but anyway. Okay, it's halfway true. Halfway true. Yeah, that's right. I, you know, you're, you're all right. You know, and by the way, anybody that follows Bonza online. Oh, here we go. Anybody that follows Bonza on Facebook. He posted a picture of himself earlier this week. <laughs> what suit was that? I mean, and where did you get that suit? You were to dress to the nines. Joseph A. Bank. Joseph A. Bank. Yeah. All right. It was my graduation suit, and I had a job interview a couple of days ago, so had to dress up nice. How'd, how'd the job interview go? It went pretty well. Drove three hours to Lexington, Virginia. Oh, really? Yeah. What's the Long job? Drive. Uh, sports broadcasting job at uh, Washington Lee University. Oh, okay. Yeah, broadcasting assistant there. Uh, Lexington's a very small town, 7,000 people. And considering I lived in the D.C. area for basically my whole life, it was quite a difference. The tallest building over there is four stories tall. Meanwhile, in D.C., you got the monuments. So it was a pretty big difference. But I liked the town, and uh, the job interview went well. Met a lot of people. Very friendly. It seems like everybody knew everybody, which is a stark contrast from take, D.C. <laughs> take it from me. Getting started, if that turns out to be your first real job in this mm -hmm. business, uh, getting started in a small town is mm -hmm. one of the greatest things you can ever do. Take it from me. Uh, not only did I go to Salisbury, but uh, Scott, my broadcasting career started down there between right. Salisbury and Ocean City. And uh, I eventually had a chance to work at a 50,000-watt radio station uh, that reached from just north of Dover, Delaware, all the way to the Bay Bridge Tunnel oh, wow. uh, in, in Virginia hmm. on the Lower Eastern Shore. And there's very few people that don't know who you are. And when you're out uh, doing what I was doing, which was covering high school and college sports yeah. in, in both Delaware and Maryland and actually uh, the Eastern Shore of Virginia as well, uh, you know, you know, you you go different places and things of that nature, and people recognize you. Mm -hmm. They know you, and that's all well and good. And 
but it, it, it tells you about uh, there's very few secrets that you can keep when things are that close-knit. Right. And, and in, in a business where, yes, we're out in the public eye, you also want your privacy, and sometimes mm-hmm. that's a little hard to keep, uh, but nonetheless, wouldn't have traded that experience for anything. And I was down there between school and the broadcasting for about nine years, a little, not, a little more than nine years before I came back up here. Uh, so it worked out. It was very, very well done in terms of the radio station, mm-hmm. uh, and we were we were number one pretty much the whole time I was there. If I had a dollar for every time somebody told me this quote, "You got to start somewhere," well, yeah. I wouldn't have to get a job. I'd be rich. Well, that's true, <laughs> but that but that is the truth. You yeah. do. You have to start somewhere, and it really doesn't make any difference where you are it's getting your foot in the door that's, and that's the hardest the, part that's the hardest part <laughs> well we're going to talk a lot of baseball between now and noon and uh, it has been a very tough week uh, for baseball mm-hmm. as uh, the tragic death of former blue jays and phillies pitcher roy Halladay killed in the plane crash in the gulf of mexico mm-hmm. uh, just off the coast of florida and we'll be uh, talking about that over the next couple of hours and getting some different people's perspectives on it. Uh, a lot certainly has been said about that, specifically in the Boston area, uh, as to what happened to Holiday uh, with the plane crash that took his life back on Wednesday. Now, a video surfaced of, of Holiday uh, and flying the plane and some would say he was flying it recklessly. Some would say he the, was the day he crashed. Yeah, some mm-hmm. some say he was you know maybe too close to the water, buzzing the water, things of that nature. And uh, one radio show host up in the Boston area, Michael Felger, uh, he he does a radio talk show up there along with uh, it's called the Felger and uh, Maserati show. Uh, radio show, and, and it is simulcast on an NBC TV uh, entity up there, and uh, he sp- supposedly was suspended, uh, and that news came down today, for things that was said uh, by him during the week or shortly after Holiday, uh, you know, had crashed the plane, and because of uh, what this video showed, uh, he basically said at one point, well, Halliday, you know, careless, and he got what he deserved. Oh, And gosh. those kinds of things. So, uh, again, wow. uh, while I don't think he's been suspended from the radio show, mm-hmm. just the simulcast part of it, so we'll see how that uh, plays itself out in the coming weeks. But uh, nonetheless, uh, a very tragic uh, uh, start to the week for Major League Baseball as Roy Halladay uh, dies in a plane crash, small engine plane. Uh, he was uh, one, of the, one of the things that Roy took interest in was flying. And mm-hmm. after his baseball playing days were over, that's one thing he did uh, want to uh, be a part of and, and, and kind of a hobby type of thing. But he also had a great interest in flying, wound up getting the pilot's license and the whole nine yards. Uh, but the family, you certainly feel for them, and, and, you know, he leaves a couple of children behind, a wife, uh, and, and that's just a very, very tragic, tragic story. But now mm-hmm. the other part of it, from the baseball standpoint, uh, 203 and 105 was his career record. That's a winning percentage uh, of 659. He had 320 win seasons, led the league in innings pitch four different times, which has also started the conversation as to whether or not he's a Hall of Fame pitcher. 
he's, he's not been really... out. He's not been out five years. So uh, we'll see whether or not that comes to fruition. But I would just say, looking at those numbers, uh, the amount of wins is what concerns me there. Uh, in in terms of. Uh, uh, whether or not he's Hall of Fame worthy. Certainly he was one of the more dominant pitchers yeah. of his era, mm-hmm. uh, both with the Blue Jays and the Phillies. And, of course, everybody remembers the, the no-hitter in, in the, the, perfect, playoffs. the perfect game in the playoffs, right, exactly, while he was in Philadelphia. Yeah. Uh, so, again, uh, you know, very good career. Is he Hall of Fame worthy? I'm not so sure. So we'll, we'll, we'll delve into that a little bit with some of our guests today. And uh, one of our guests is coming up in just a few minutes, and that's Rich Dubroff of PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. Uh, and he'll be joining us. We're talking Orioles starting pitching and what that might bring us in the offseason. Can the Orioles come up with uh, some quality guys? Uh, certainly Jason Vargas's name has been out there. Uh, and, and a few others. We'll get uh, Rich's take on that and what, what, what he is hearing. Mark Zuckerman of Mass and Sports and MassandSports.com will be with us today as well. And yes, we're going to talk a little bit of the Nationals uh, with Mark and, and some of the things going on there as they prepare for the winter meetings, uh, first GM meetings, but then the winter meetings, which will be coming up that second week uh, of December. And we'll see what kind of uh, moves the Nationals may have in store. A couple of free agents, some question marks there. Who gets re-signed, if anybody, and which direction are they going to go in? And then uh, Todd Dibas of the Washington uh, Times will join us also today. And uh, we don't have Todd on the phone. We have him by Memorex. So, because <laughs> Todd and I, Todd and I cover a lot of different things together. We were covering the Nationals uh, during the baseball season. Uh, this week we covered the Wizards, uh, the win over the Lakers on Thursday night. We covered the Capitals last night. A little revenge for the Caps with a 4-1 win over the Penguins. That's always nice. And that's always a, a good thing. Uh, so, so Todd will be along uh, with us, and we'll get his thoughts on Dave Martinez, who was hired as the uh, Nats manager last week. But now the, the news this week is that the Nationals have uh, gone ahead and uh, picked a lot of the coaches, Dave, between Martinez and, and the, the coaching staff and, 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 and the front office. The, between Martinez and the front office, the new coaches are in place, uh, one of them returning, and that's Bobby Hendley, the third base coach. Uh, but we'll delve into a little bit of that with, uh, with Todd and also uh, some of the things that might have led to the departure of Dusty Baker and the hiring of Dave Martinez. And then in the uh, 11.30 portion of the 11 o'clock hour, we'll be hooking up with Bill Latson, our friend from MLB.com, and uh, his uh, podcast, Newsmakers, on MLB.com. And uh, we'll get a little flavor as to what uh, he has been doing this past week. I know I posted a, uh, uh, a shared a, uh, a story, a podcast from him from this past week. So we'll let him explain that to you and who was a part of that. And also, we're going to get Bill's uh, take on what's going on with the New York Yankees because uh, they're obviously still looking for a manager. We know that the the Red Sox have gone ahead and gotten theirs. Uh, So we'll see what's going on with Bill uh, around 11.30. But right now, we're going to go out to the phone lines and bring in Rich Dubroff uh, from PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. Good morning, Rich. How are you? I'm great, Craig. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Well, you know, you... uh, Talk a little bit about these Orioles uh, and and what we might expect in the off season. 
I, I got to ask you right off the bat, a couple of these free agent pitchers that we're, we're listening to or we're looking at and we're reading about, uh, Jason Vargas being one of them, what can you tell us in, in terms of where the Orioles are with the search as we head toward uh, what should be a pretty productive offseason or at least a busy one? We don't know how productive it's going to be, but uh, the winter meeting is just about uh, a month away. Well, the first thing is that the general manager's meetings yeah. are, are going to start, um, you know, are, are going to start uh, on Monday in, in Orlando. And that should get the market starting to percolate, Craig. Yeah. Uh, you know, we haven't really heard anything from anybody uh, about, uh, you know, any moves yet. And so I think that, you know, I, I think that there's going to start to be, you know, at least, uh, you know, at least some more rumors starting on uh starting on Monday, because agents will be meeting with teams. Teams will be talking to other teams about trades. So, uh, you know, right now it's speculation what the Orioles are going to do, and certainly I've done my fair share of speculating and will continue to do so. So uh, <laughs> I, I, think, I think that we'll, you know, I, I think we'll start to, to get some more clarity uh, early next week. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, you, you wrote a piece this past week about uh, some of the pitching uh, interest that the Orioles have. Jason Vargas, certainly one of them, uh, 85 and 81 throughout his career with a 417 ERA, a left-hander. Uh, age could be a factor. He's going to be 35. But again, as, as you well know, if you're left-handed, you could probably pitch into your mid-40s. Uh, how, how does he help the Orioles if indeed that's one of the avenues they're looking at? Well, he helps them because he's a, he helps them because he's a left-hander and he's because he's had success, you know, later in his career, he had a terrific first half in 2017, not a very good second half, but overall he, you know, he led the American league with 18 wins. Right. And, uh, I, I think the Orioles would be, uh, uh, I think the Orioles would be thrilled to have somebody like that who could step behind uh, Dylan Bundy and, and Kevin Gosman. I think what, you, what you'd like is, you know, and to be realistic, they're not going to get a number one starter out of this. Right. Well, what of you course. want is a good number three starter after Bundy and Gosman. Because if you have three good starters with Bundy, Gosman, and someone else, then you know, then you can start getting serious about being a contender because the biggest problem with the Orioles in 2017 was Chris Tillman. Right. Chris Tillman, who had given them uh, really good years from 2012 to 2016, he was hurt and he was ineffective. And that put so much pressure on the bullpen. And at times the Orioles only had one good starter in Bundy. I mean, Gosman didn't have a good, you know, first half of the year. So if you had had Tillman in there, I think Gosman wouldn't have felt as much pressure. And then, you know, the Orioles, you know, may have stayed in this thing a little while longer than they did. Uh, you, you know, you can, you can work your way around, you know, two starters who aren't that good. Right. You can't work your way around three starters who aren't. Well, and, you know, the other thing about this, <clears throat> pardon me, is that you 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 look at the playoff years, the, the, the three years and five, uh, three playoff appearances in five seasons, and, and you can certainly make the argument that the starting pitching wasn't all that great and that they did still try to piece it together, 
you know, I mean, obviously you had the... the well, in one of those years, it was, in 2014, it was excellent. It was excellent. You're absolutely right. But but you're, you got some performances out of people that maybe a lot of people didn't expect to get those performances out of. Well, that was certainly the case in 2012. Yeah. You know, in 2012 was a real sort of, you know, uh, sort of piece together, you know, see what works on the fly kind of year. But, uh, and then 2016, you had uh, Gosman and... Ubaldo Jimenez pitching well late in the season, which, uh, you know, w- which helped them. And then last year, when you didn't have, you know, when you had so many short starts, so many, and then injuries to Zach Britton and for a time, Darren O'Day, you had a number of relievers who really didn't belong in the major leagues. And there, there was so much pressure on these guys that you ended up with all these lopsided games and, uh, you know, while the Orioles gave it a valiant run in, in in August and right at the beginning of September, you know, they there just was nothing left. Uh, when, when you talk about Vargas, but what about the uh, possibility of Alex Cobb? Is that realistic for this team? Because you have to think there's going to be at least 10 to 12 other teams in the mix for him. Right you are, Craig. You know, I, I think that the, the, problem, the problem with the Orioles is I think they're going to have to is they're going to have to step away from uh, from their mo over the last several years if they are serious about getting someone like Alex Cobb or Lance Lynn, they're going to have to you know aggressively bid against other teams, which is not something that they have done. No, they've, sort of do- they've done well when they've isolated the market, when they've waited people out, and there are few or no other competitors, and then they get. You know, then they've gotten some good players. But in this case, they're going to have to be very, very aggressive to get somebody like Cobb. I was reading some of his comments yesterday, which uh, Orioles fans uh, probably wouldn't like, where he <laughs> sort of suggested that he would be, uh, you know, he would be more than amenable to a reunion with Joe Madden, his manager in Tampa Bay, who's now managing the, the Cubs, Cubs yeah. and, and Jim Hickey, the pitching coach there. But I think the Orioles have to, you know, they, they, they have to be aggressive because if you say of all the free agent pitchers out there, which is the one I would take, I would take him because of his success in pitching in the American League East. He's pitched well, you know, in Baltimore. He's pitched, of course, very well at Tropicana Field, and, and he's pitched well at Yankee Stadium and Fenway Park. And it's going to be hard, realistically, to get somebody like Lance Lynn, who's pitched in the National League, to come to the American League. It seems like it's very, very hard to get guys who have pitched in the National League to come to the American League. Well, you know, it's funny. It's CH. funny. It's funny you mention that because uh, several years ago, Greg Maddox used to tell me, "Oh, there's no question about it. Every you know, if I pitched in the American League, my ERA would be a run higher than what it is now." And I think a lot of people really look upon that and say, yeah, you're probably right. And, and the results aren't going to be as, as good for them in the AL as it would be in the NL. Yes. And, and you see some of the, you know, you see some of the, uh, you know, good pitchers from the American league, go to the, you know, go to the national league, like Matt, you know, like, like Max Scherzer, yeah. you know, Johnny Cueto briefly pitched for the, you know, pitched for the Royals. And he, uh, he signed in the, uh, you know, he moved to the, nationally uh, Zach Greinke when he was a free agent uh you know and he's pitched in the American League uh went from the Dodgers to the to the Diamondbacks 
so, you know, other than David Price, there are, it doesn't seem like there are a lot of uh, pitchers who choose the, you know, who choose the American League. So that's something that's, uh, that's difficult. And maybe it's better if they try and, you know, if they try and uh, concentrate their efforts on pitchers who are already in the American League, because they know what, you know, they already know what it's like, and they have some familiarity with the ballparks and the hitters rather than going to the, uh, the unknown of the national league. So, uh, you know, and there's, a, there's not that much the, or- the Orioles can do about that. If pitchers are, are dead set on pitching in the national league. Right. Wellington Castillo obviously declined the option. So uh, now I'm, I'm certain that uh, that, presents a big opportunity for Chance Cisco, but also Caleb Joseph, who's already with the club. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it's funny. We saw Caleb uh, a few years back have a pretty good offensive year, and we always said, well, you know, what would he, what would he be like if, you know, he got, he got about 400 at-bats or what have you. And then, you know, then he went and he got hurt, obviously, and then had that year last season or the year before that where he didn't have the, an RBI in the entire year coming off the injury. Uh, but last year looked like he rebounded fairly decently and looked like he was back to being, you know, the Caleb Joseph I think that everybody remembers. Yeah, I, I think that that's true. You know, I think that's true. It's Even though his, uh, the percentage of runners uh, attempting to steal – uh, it, uh, was, uh, you know, they had a much higher success rate against him than they've had, uh, than, than they've had in the past, but offensively he, uh, you know, he was very good. And I think, I think the Orioles would have been okay with having, uh, another year of Castillo and Joseph, but it gives them $7 million or, or actually $6 million, which was Castillo's salary this year, uh, more to play with. And, you know, it would have been uh, a thorny issue. Uh, what to do with uh, Chancisco? Would you, you know, would you try and carry uh, carry three catchers and you know maybe use one of them as a as a DH uh, some of the time? Uh, so it, it, you know, I think that they were kind of relieved when Castillo uh, opted out or didn't or didn't opt in. And I think that going into the start of 2018, you're going to see a lot more Caleb Joseph than you are Chancisco at right. first, right? Until Cisco. You know, until Cisco proves himself, and it's helpful because Cisco is the uh, is a left-handed hitter, and they don't have a lot of those. Rich got a question for uh, for you from Bonza. Go ahead. Hey, Rich. Um, one thing I noticed, you said something in another show that caught my eye or my ears, I guess, on radio, is that you think the Orioles would not get Ryan Flaherty back. Why? Yes, I, I don't. Uh, well, I I think that he is not a sure thing to come back. A lot of people think because Buck Showalter likes him, he's a, a sure, uh, a sure thing to come back. But, you know, I think he, I think he would do, he would like to see what else is out there because he hasn't gotten an opportunity to play. He's played very little in the last year and a half. And now he missed three months because of the, the back injury, mm-hmm. the shoulder injury this year, Bonza. But I think that, uh, the Orioles may be able to replace him, uh, you know, more cheaply, maybe with uh, Steve Wilkerson, who's uh, from Double A, or uh, Luis Sardinas, uh, a shortstop they have at uh, at Norfolk, uh, or they may go and you know use the Rule Five draft to see if they can get a younger version of Flaherty. But on the other hand, 
if it gets to be February and he hasn't signed, I wouldn't be surprised if he if he came back. But a lot of people think, oh, it's a sure thing that Flaherty will be back, and I think that it is not a sure thing. We're talking to Rich Dubroff from uh, PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com and does such a great job covering the Orioles for us here at PressBox. One other thing about Cobb that I was uh, intrigued by was, even though the record was 12-10 and 10 last year, the ERA was certainly right there, and you have to figure – uh, there were a lot of starts uh, last year for him that uh, probably were better than what the numbers indicate because of just how, how you know, how Tampa did kind of struggle at times offensively. Yes, and, and, but on the other hand, it's a, uh, Tropicana Field is a good uh, park for a pitcher to pitch in. Right. So he's, uh, you know, he, he's certainly, uh, you know, he's certainly helped by them. And you're right, I mean, runs are dear. Uh, at Tampa, you know, at Tampa Bay because of the, you know, because of the ballpark. But I like the fact, what I would like also about Cobb is, you know, if they signed him, he knows he doesn't have to be the man. Mm-hmm. He can be the number three starter. And, and then, the, you know, also be kind of a more of a veteran presence around Bundy and Gosman, which I think would, would help. Uh, so I, I think that, I would be very, very aggressive if I were the Orioles and going after Alex. All right, Rich, I know you've got to run, uh, but one last thing, and that's uh, for uh, Trey Mancini. Obviously, that rookie year, uh, I, I don't think a lot of people saw that coming by any stretch of the imagination. He's made himself a, a rookie of the year finalist, but obviously, I think, uh, no, no question about uh, the Aaron Judge situation there. Uh, but you, you can't knock anything that that kid did and you you just hoping there's no sophomore jinx <laughs> yeah yeah you certainly are and you know i'm glad you didn't ask me who i voted for <laughs> to look the year because i can't because i can't disclose that right until uh you know until after uh uh after the votes made public on uh on monday well, but uh but mancini mancini there was a lot of question whether he was even going to make a team Right in 2017, and he did very, very well in in working at a, a new position that he hadn't played as a professional before. He's got a great work ethic. He's a really good clubhouse presence, a very intelligent uh, young man, and as you know, he's been extraordinarily cooperative and accessible to us. Right, uh, and, and you know, and you know he's been a steady presence in the lineup and I was very, very impressed all around by what he saw, you know, Buck Showalter, uh, in 2016, you know, started Christian Walker in the outfield in, in spring training. He wanted to see how he would play because he didn't think Mancini's arm was good enough, but it turned out that Mancini's arm was good enough. Right. And, you know, he wasn't a, a terrifically graceful outfielder, uh, at all, but you know he was okay, and I think that he you know he got better as he went along, and he's got a great work work ethic, and I think he's going to work very very hard to uh, uh, you know to do well and and to do even better in 2018. Well, the thing that impressed me most about this, everything that you've just talked about, is being done learning on the fly at the major league level, and when you do that. 
you also have to make the adjustments because pitchers are adjusting to you. And, yeah, there were some ups and downs, but I think for the most part the consistency level is really something to be pretty proud of. It, it sure was. And, you know, he played. There was only one game he missed in, you know, the last four months of the season. Right. Uh, so he was, uh, you know, he, he, was, he was there ready to play when, you know, when they needed him. And, you know, he played well. Well, Rich Dubroff, we appreciate the time this morning and uh, looking forward to the GM meetings, as you said, and also the winter meetings coming up in Orlando. And who knows, maybe it's going to be a different kind of offseason for the Orioles. Let's hope so. Well, I, I think it's going to be an interesting – I think it's going to be an interesting one. And I'm just a little surprised there's been no – you know, it's been so quiet so far, but it's not going to stay quiet very long. All right, Rich, thanks a lot for your time, and uh, we look forward to talking to you down the road, hopefully when Stan My gets pleasure, back. Craig. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Rich Dubroff, PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com, just does a great job covering the Orioles here for PressBox, and uh, you can read his stuff in the print edition and also online. We're going to take a break now, and uh, that's our first one of the show. When we come back, we will hear from Todd Dibus, uh, who we had a chance to catch up with. Uh, and we're going to talk a lot about uh, the Nationals, their situation in terms of uh, Dave Martinez being their new manager, and the fact that uh, they hired uh, some of their coaches for Martinez's staff for the upcoming season. We're going to talk to Todd about that and some other things concerning the Nationals, some injuries, some free agents, all that and more coming up when the bat around continues right here. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square can cater your holiday party, and now you can order the catering trays and delivery online. Go to Chick-fil-A.com and select Nottingham Square as your store and place your order. Did you know that Chick-fil-A offers the Grilled Chicken Bundle, a catering tray where everyone can build their own grilled chicken sandwich? Plus, Chick-fil-A offers chicken nugget catering trays with up to 200 nuggets per tray and chicken strip trays with up to 75 chicken strips. Call Steve at the Nottingham Square Chick-fil-A. You can pick it up or he'll bring it to you. That's 410-931-0031. The Parexcel Early Phase Unit at Harbor Hospital is looking for healthy males and females ages 18 to 85 to volunteer for a clinical research study. Length of participation and number of visits vary by study. If you qualify, you may receive compensation ranging from $1,200 to $8,500 upon completion. For more information, please visit our website or call 1-877-617-8839. Call now. Everyone knows that Full Circle Tire and Auto in Abingdon, that's where I take my vehicle whenever I have any issue whatsoever. And that's because there's a Full Circle difference. They understand my vehicle is my life and they know they need to get it taken care of in a timely manner and work with me to make arrangements. In fact, the most recent time that I took my vehicle to Full Circle Tire and Auto, Dave, he simply gave me a ride home personally after I dropped my car off there. That's the difference they make at Full Circle Tire and Auto. You can stop in and see them. 1304 Governor's Court at Unit 110 in Abingdon. Give them a call 410-676-2277. That's 410-676-CARS or find them on the web fullcircletirenauto.com. KZ, Sari, the NFL chick, KOO from the PressBox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to pressboxonline.com slash fantasy every 
Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. And you can also check us out on Facebook.com slash Sports. We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer, the, the other type of football. No. No, we don't. We don't? No. Never? No. Yeah. Tennis? No. Nope. Rugby? Nope. No? Just no, football. Just NFL football. football. College College football. football. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, Press Box Fantasy and Reality Football Show. Many people know about Goodwill through donating clothes and furniture. Did you know that Goodwill also accepts vehicle donations? Goodwill accepts vehicles in running or non-running condition. When you donate a vehicle, you can steer clear of all of the headaches associated with trying to sell a car yourself. It's fast, simple, and reliable, and you also receive a tax deduction. When you donate to Goodwill, know that your donation is being used to help someone find a job. Last year, we provided job training services to people in need of assistance because of physical, mental, or other social barriers and placed over 3,000 into jobs. To donate your vehicle to Goodwill, visit givethegoodwill.org or call 866-492-2770. That's givethegoodwill.org, 866-492-2770. The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, Sandra McKee profiles Dr. Leanne Curl, not only the first female team orthopedic in the NFL, but also a huge part of everything the Ravens do. Also, 10 questions with Ravens kicker Justin Tucker and more. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Welcome back to the Battle Round. Craig Heiss sitting in for Stan the Fan this week. And with us, Todd Divas from the Washington Times. And let's talk a little bit about what's going on with the Nationals because we know Dave Martinez is their new skipper. Uh, first of all, your impressions of what you saw from the press conference and what do you know about Dave? I, I thought the press conference was very interesting, uh, namely that they brought in a guy who has not been a manager before and plugged him in with this team. I, I thought... Mike Rizzo went out of his way multiple times in the press conference to kind of push away the notion that Dave Martinez is a first-time manager. You know, he kept saying that he's a bench coach, and, you know, he's been right there with Joe Madden for several years. So he was making – he had a lot of responsibility in Chicago. He's making a lot of decisions, and it's just this kind of, like, modest slide over to the manager spot. Um, I think we've seen – you and I both cover a lot of sports and been a lot of places – We've seen that when you go from that assistant to the coach or you go from that bench coach to the manager. Has a ton- tendency to be a totally different world. Yeah, that, that is not a six-inch move, even though those yeah. guys sit next to each yeah. other all season long. It is a gi- gigantic move. It's you every day in the press conferences, you every day with the lineup, you every day with the scrutiny. But in the same vein, though, you had Matt Williams a few years back come in as a guy who did not have major league managerial experience, mm-hmm. and yet... He's handed basically the same thing Dave Martinez is being handed in that it's a team that's pretty much ready to win now. Right, yeah. It, it, whoever was coming here, a pretty turnkey operation, right? I mean, I think even sitting here in November, we can project what the opening nine is going to be, assuming everybody's healthy if Daniel Murphy is ready for opening day, which they have their fingers crossed he will be. It's pretty apparent who's going to be where, who's going to be on the mound, who's going to be at every position. You know, the only change would be in left field, and presumably they slide Adam Eaton over there, Michael A. Taylor's in center. You have a closer. You have a setup guy. You have at least four spots in the rotation. 
we know this in November already, so you're going to be working with the middle of your bullpen. So that said, in, in a team coming off a division title, 97 wins. So turnkey operation for a quote-unquote rookie manager who has a lot of life experience in Major League Baseball, for sure. Now, the Nationals did uh, go ahead and uh, Dave goes out. And I know he was heading to Arizona after the press conference, so I know he's talked to a lot of people. Uh, a lot of his coaching staff was named this past week. Uh, certainly one of the guys that we all know, Bobby Henley, he will be back as the third base coach, as some of us refer to him as Bobby Send Me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting to see Bobby keep surviving all this regime change, right? I mean, they can't kill him down there, which is great. As you know, it's great to have him around and, and talk to him on a personal level, someone who – if he meets a stranger and he's asked where he's from, he'll say he's from L.A. and then clarify he's talking about lower Alabama. Um, that's kind of the mindset for Bobby Henley. So, But a lot of new parts around Bobby Henley and Dave Martinez. But And Chip Hale is one of them, and Chip Hale's been a bench coach. So certainly uh, uh, that that's, uh, I would think, for, for Martinez, is something that's a positive heading into this. Yeah, Chip Hale's – held multiple roles from manager to bench coach to the bases to minor league stuff. So what we saw with the staff, I think, is a lot of experience, a lot of guys who have had different roles, a lot of guys who were former players, um, even – you know, if it wasn't for the longest time, they were still in the league for a bit. And, and that's kind of how Dave Martinez is, right? He was in the league a long time. He's held various roles, and now he's the manager um, and in charge of everything. So he's surrounded with a, a lot of guys who have been around. One of the things that intrigues me going forward as we get set for spring training next uh, February is the fact that Mike Maddox was so revered by this pitching staff and really anybody that's seen him work. And, and, and I had experience with him, you know, when the Rangers would come into Baltimore, that kind of thing. Uh, but Derek Lilliquist is is the pitching coach now. And what about him? And, of course, a former major league pitcher. Mm-hmm. But what about him it intrigues you, if anything? I think it's where he came from. You come from St. Louis, and if you were there for – he was there, I think, 16 consecutive years yeah. in different capacities. I want to say at the top of my head, the last seven as the pitching coach there. If, you, if you're sticking with that quality of an organization for that long, you're doing something correct, I would presume. And it's interesting that Matt, they swap spots, him and Maddox. Yeah. Um, Maddox will take his place, and Lilliquist comes to Washington to take his place. Uh, we'll see if he has the – I guess I'll call them idiosyncrasies of uh, Maddox, if I can even spit that word out, of charting games beforehand. I had not seen another major league pitching coach who made his players chart games in this Mm -hmm. era. Uh, That was something the rotation had to get used to. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see a different voice in there. When you have a pitching staff and a rotation like the Nationals have, Mm -hmm. how much of an adjustment is that, do you think, for the pitchers going forward when you have a Scherzer, when you have a Strasburg, two of the guys who are you know, certainly one of the top two pitchers in the league? Sure, yeah, two two of the Cy Young Award finalists. So I think for them... Um, the, the great thing for Lilliquist, much like Dave Martinez, is you're walking into a group of people who know they are. Even, even Tanner, you know, mm-hmm. and Gio, put them all in that, in that group. These are not guys who are just trying to find their way and haven't had success at some point, especially at the top of the rotation, Scherzer, Strasburg, guys who know exactly what they're doing, two of the most dominant arms in the league. Then you have two guys behind them that have had experience, um, have had success, have pitched in the postseason, all these things. 
sometimes not their greatest moments in the postseason, certainly. But they've been there before, so it's not you're not kind of managing that mental game with them. Maybe you have some new ideas to express to them, and that could be beneficial. But you got a pretty, uh, again, to use that phrase, turnkey operation with the rotation. In terms of getting this team over the hump, I, I mean, you have a new manager, but you look at what Dusty did over the last two years. You look what Davey Johnson did here, and, of course, Matt Williams. Uh, and I was reading something last week where the, the column that I got into was, was titled, being a good manager just isn't good enough anymore. And it certainly appears when you look around baseball, whether it's John Farrell in Boston, whether it's Joe Girardi in, in New York, and then what happened with Dusty. That seems to be the case. And and guys are becoming more young, more analytical. And while there's something to be said for that, as an old school guy like I am, uh, sometimes I just don't understand it because – Dave Martinez could come in here, have that same kind of success, but you know how much of a crapshoot that the uh, the playoffs are. Sure. You, you, there are no guarantees. No, and it, it's interesting. It's almost like the Nationals set, have set the tone for that being a good manager isn't good enough. Yeah. The guys that you mentioned, they're, they're winning divisions or winning 90-plus games here in Washington, but we're only seeing them for two years basically out of pop. So... Um, it's, it's tricky. I mean, you, and when you when you say crapshoot, you go back and think of all the things that happened in Game 5 of the NLDS this year, or even before that, Anthony Rendon error. Dusty Baker says afterward, we never see Anthony do that, and that's true. He, he never botches it. You bring in Max Scherzer in the fifth, he gets the first two guys out, the two most difficult hitters in that lineup, and they can't find the third out. And gives up four runs. Right, one way or another, and he has a right-hander of all people hit a double down the third baseline that scores two runs, and now the whole game has changed. And Jason Worth loses a ball in the lights, and... Um, you know, certainly I think there are a couple instances tactically where Dusty could have done things different in that game. But the prevailing point here is, is I'm trying to back your statement of wild things happen in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And you can hire whoever you want and you can play the math as hardcore as you want. And sometimes just with humans out there on the field, stuff happens. <laughs> and, and it's just out of your, you know, there's nothing you can control. You can put everybody in the best positions and then crazy stuff can happen. Um, it's just reaching a point now in Washington that it's kind of strange that you keep having these loaded teams, you keep changing the manager, but you keep running into a similar result here. Four out of six seasons, they won a division title, can't get out of the first round. And there's no real reason to explain that, really. I mean, right. the, you, uh, you can look at it any different way you want to, uh, but there's really no way to explain it. Yeah, the common bonds there are, are, are limited, you know, things from the Drew Storen, Jordan Zimmerman situation, right? That hasn't been replicated, but they still haven't been able to – get out of their own way, and again, you bring in a Cy Young Award winner in the middle of the game, which is what you're supposed to do, and then and, it doesn't work. And the one time that they have a three-headed monster in the bullpen, they decide to go to Sammy Solis. Right, right, and so, and that's one of those tactical things that I was talking about. Like, you know, you make that one wrong decision once you're down to a game five, and you're in the middle of a game five, so you're just talking about, for the rest of the night, you're talking about, what, let's see, like 20, 24 outs? And mm-hmm. how you just bend those outs and get there, it's, it's 
difficult, crazy things happen. Some things should and could be better. Um, and how much bringing in a whole or almost, except for our friend Bobby Henley, <laughs> almost whole new staff, um, how that will change, what these guys do in those moments, I don't know. I don't think anyone can predict that. But I think what the Nationals are betting on here is they have a new manager who's a little bit more of this freestyle managing a la Dave Roberts, a la Joe Madden, a little more flexibility, and we'll see if that pans out for them in the playoffs. How much of a factor do you think being with Joe Madden for the last 10, 11 years, but going back to their days in Tampa, and then, of course, they reached the World Series with Tampa against the Phillies, uh, and then they wind up winning it with the Cubs. Uh, how much of a factor do you think that is for Dave heading into his stint with the Nationals? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a large factor. I, I don't want to make the assumption instantly, even how logical it may be to think that he's going to be like Madden. Um, but then I talked to a couple of people who have been around him a long time, and certainly that's what they said they expect. So they would know better than me. They have personal relationships with him. Um, and that makes sense, of course. And I would think that's something that attracted Mike Rizzo and, and the Lerner family to him is, is that, kind of, that kind of mind. And so we've seen a lot of success with that approach very recently in Joe Madden in Chicago, Dave Roberts in Los Angeles, and they're trying to replicate that here, I think, in Washington with Dave Martinez. A couple of awards were handed out this week, albeit not BBWA uh, awards, but uh, nice to see Ryan Zimmerman get the Comeback Player of the Year. And, I mean, anybody that didn't see that one coming is living in a cave. Uh, but Max Scherzer uh, voted on by his peers as the most dominant pitcher in the National League. Yeah, it's interesting to see that. The Cy Young Award this year, much like MVP, is going to be a fascinating vote to me. Um, you know, Kershaw has a slight case. I think Max Scherzer, again, has the best case to, to win the award for the second consecutive year. But when you look at Steven Strasburg, you're looking at, I mean, how many consecutive scoreless innings? 36. And then you from the All-Star break on? Yeah, uh, 0.86 like, uh, ERA. Just exactly. Yeah, you, you, he was as dominant as anyone. Yeah, so it, it, that's going to be an interesting vote to me. Um, you know, that would be Scherzer's third Cy Young Award. And when you get to three with Cy Young Awards, you're really starting to move up historically. You add in his 20 strikeout game, the two no-hitters, that he's won Cy Young Awards in both leagues, um, and that he doesn't seem to be slowing down at all, that right. he should have several good years still in front of him on a very long contract. And then at the end, when he's done, his totals are going to be very interesting, and, and you would think are going to waltz him right into the Hall of Fame if he stays consistent for a few more years. Our final few minutes with Todd Dibas of the Washington Times, and I look to this situation heading into spring training. Uh, some free agents, Howie Kendrick, I mean, he was an integral part of this team. When you stop to think of all the injuries and things of that nature before he got hurt himself, but still a major contributor, uh, how do you see some of these moves coming up for between now and the time spring training rolls around? I was surprised that they didn't do something with Adam Lind right away. Yeah, yeah, and then he winds up, you know, not being here. Right, so um, they have to figure out what they want to do with their bench. If, if they're going to – how many young guys are going to be in there, certainly they're going to bring in somebody for spring to take a look at for the back end of the rotation for the bench. They seem to have plenty of outfield depth. Um, they need to be – 
sure, a little more sure about what they have going on in the infield. Certainly Wilmer Defoe, we saw have a lot of good moments last year, speaking of filling in for injured players. So he's a little insurance if Daniel Murphy's not ready right away, but you're still going to need, if that's the case, you still need someone else behind them. So they have a couple moves to make. The bench, middle of the bullpen, I think they're good with outfield depth. Backup catcher, obviously, Weeders opted in, and he'll be back, so they need to figure out what they're doing behind him. Jose Lobaton is a free agent. Do they like Pedro Severino enough at this point? Do they like Rowdy Reed to give him a long look in spring training? We saw him at the end of the last year coming straight up from AA. Um, so they have some backup maneuvers to, be, to figure out, and I'm sure we'll see some veterans in camp that they're going to take a look at to consider for those spots. You mentioned Daniel Murphy a little earlier. Uh, Silver Slugger Awards, second straight year. Uh, this guy, from the time that he uh, performed for the Mets in the postseason, he figured something out during that yeah. postseason because he's been just fabulous since he's been in Washington. Yeah, and the guy that helped him figure it out, they just hired Kevin Long to be right. the hitting coach here. Um, so he's coming off, an and I think one of the under-the-radar topics here so far is that it's not just Bryce Harper heading into the final season of his contract. This is it for Daniel Murphy, too. So what do they think going forward at his age, uh, what he's been able to do? They can't just slide him to first base, and obviously with the league they're in, they can't, and he can't be a DH. So they're going to have a something to figure out there with him going forward. Last thing, and that's with this hire of Dave Martinez, how much of a factor do you think uh, in, in terms of decision-making, that this was Mike Rizzo's call. I don't believe it. I think it came from up top. Uh, and the second thing is because I think it came from up top, I think there was tremendous pressure on Rizzo to make this move because his deal is up after next year. Bryce Harper is up after next year. And as you mentioned, Murphy is up after next year. Yeah, I, I think a lot of us have a sense that Mike Rizzo would have preferred to bring Dusty Baker back. Um you know, what people say to reporters in, in uh, the settings that we kind of run press conferences with or if we talk to Mike on the field and it's a group of us, you know, sometimes you, you can question the value of what's being said there. When Mike Rizzo was saying at the end of the season, we're confident we're going to get something done with Dusty, you know, everything looks fine, and then this happens, that makes you wonder, A, how much did the postseason influence that? Because we were talking to him beforehand. But B, how much was that decision out of his hands? Well, we even talked to him before one of the games in the postseason, and he was still touting Dusty. We felt feel like something's going to get done. And then in the press conferences, well, just making the playoffs isn't good enough anymore. Right, right. So, so, so obviously that's coming from above him. Yeah, and we saw at Dave Martinez's press conference when he essentially said, "We, you know, we're here to win the World Series." Period. Mm -hmm. We heard applause from the folks in the front row, which was the Lerner family. So there's a lot of pressure there. It's a unique situation for Dave Martinez. Um, you know, his marching orders are clear. There's nothing else acceptable, apparently, to that group who is making the major decisions over there other than essentially it seems winning the World Series. Maybe making the World Series would be enough for them. I don't know. But the the way they put it out publicly, that's one of the things that surprised me as well. Say this publicly um, and repeatedly, 
but that's the path that they have chosen. And so now there's a lot of pressure and a lot of people who, as you mentioned, are coming to huge final years of their deals, a lot of integral parts of what's been very good around here recently. If they don't win this year, then what kind of turnover will we be seeing at those spots? Well, it's like I always tell people, be careful what you wish for. Sure. <laughs> right. Todd Divis, Washington Times, thanks so much for being with us on the bat around. Thanks, Greg. And that man's about as informed as anyone, and I say be careful what you wish for because for, for this very reason, Bonza, is that Dave Martinez comes into a situation with the Nationals that is unlike, or not, not too far unlike what Matt Williams stepped into, and even for that matter, Dusty Baker as well, but Matt Williams in particular because he and Martinez enter this job having never managed in the major leagues before, and they are being handed a team that is basically ready to win now. And just because Dusty Baker went to two straight division titles and lost each time in the first round of the LDS doesn't mean that, to, to me, the same thing could very easily happen with Martinez here, but there are no guarantees once you get to the postseason. I, it's a crapshoot. I think, for me... What helps in Martinez's case is that he has a third year, where Baker and Williams didn't have a third year. Right, but here's the thing. If you were going to do that, why wouldn't have you given Dusty Baker a third year? And that, that to me, is the the underlying thing uh, that's that's really mind-boggling when it comes to the learners with me in Mm -hmm. in this, is that I, I get the whole idea that, yeah, Four out of six years you've been there. You haven't gotten past the first round. We need to take the next step. But the bottom line is there's no guarantees as to, you know, whether or not you're going to when – when you get there, the whole idea is to get there. Give mm-hmm. yourself the opportunity. And, and you look at that fifth game against the Cubs. I mean, Scherzer comes in, he gets the first two outs, and then all of a sudden... Implodes. Well, he doesn't necessarily implode. There's an infield hit. There's a bloop. Catcher's interference. Catcher's interference, which uh, uh, admittedly MLB MLB says the umpires blew the call. Right. You have a left-handed batter hitting a double down the left field line. And I'm just saying, you know, there's a lot of different things that happen in that situation. Not mm-hmm. all Max Scherzer's fault, but after you get the first two outs of that inning against two of the toughest hitters in that lineup, and then all of a sudden there's four runs on the board. You can't, you can't calculate that that's going to happen. You can have the best team, you can have the best pitching, and there are, there's nothing you can do to kind of prepare yourself for the unexpected in these playoff games. To be fair, like you said, a lot of things that happened in Game 5, I mean, if you think about it, Scherzer, you would expected a clean inning from him. You did not expect Weeders to have a strike-three pitch go by him right. to induce catcher's interference, and you also don't expect Lobatone to get picked off of first when there's a runner on second base in a situation where if the Nationals scored, I think in the eighth inning it was, you would think, they're going to win the game. Well, there's no question about it because you're you're in a situation where the bullpen is taxed. Wade Davis is out there, and you're, you're sitting there. If Lobatone, and I've said this to several people, if Lobatone does not get picked off in that situation, 
which number one, he should have never put himself. He was back to the bag in time. It he looked just like got a regular, off a bit. right? You, you know, but you should never put yourself in that situation to begin with, especially with Contreras, the catcher. Right, exactly. <laughs> and but he gets picked off, and then you're looking at a situation in which you've, you know, you've taken the air out of your own sails, if you will. Uh, but but if in my mind, if he doesn't get picked off, they probably win that ball game. Right. I mean, and think about it. the Nationals were up four to one, I believe, after a couple innings. You think this has got to be it. This has got to be it. And then you put uh, Albers in after Gonzalez had the struggle. It was four three. Albers really good inning. And then Scherzer comes in. You thinking this is almost a cakewalk. You get Scherzer through, and then you bring in Kinsler, Madsen, and Doolittle. Right. And you but, know one of the things oh. we're going to talk to Mark Zuckerman about when we have him on uh, shortly after 11, is the fact that you've got some situations with some key guys on this, t- uh, on this team. One of them, Matt Albers, uh, you know, what happens with him? Does he come back? Kinsler uh, too, right? K- Kinsler is another one, you know. And, and again, do you, do you want to keep the law firm in place with Kinsler, Matson, and Doolittle? <laughs> right. Uh, do you want to keep that uh, law firm in place? The only thing with Kinsler is he is 35 or 36, what have you. Uh, he's gotten up in years. Uh, but but he's not a real hard thrower. He's kind of a you know you know corner to corner guy. Yeah, makes you hit the ball on the ground. Uh, and, and again, even before coming over here, and it's amazing that the Twins traded him because, as, as you know, the second half, the last two months of the season, the Twins were so lights out. But I mean, this was a team that was about ready to pack it in. Mm-hmm. And, and they wound up making a couple of trades, one of them being Kinsler. Uh, and and you, you got rid of a closer that, at that point in time, had saved 28 games for Minnesota. So give Paul Molitor a whole bunch of credit uh, for piecing that thing together coming down the stretch. Were you satisfied with Kinsler this year after coming to the Nationals? I had no problem with him, yeah, because, I mean, he wasn't. I don't want him necessarily closing, even though he did that role. But that's the great thing about all three of those guys at the back end of the bullpen is the fact that uh, is the fact that you have all three that have closers experience. Matson, of course, Doolittle, maybe not as much, but he was the guy, uh, you know, that, that they depended on coming down the stretch. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's going to throw 96, 97. He's going to rear back. He's going to throw mostly fastballs, and he's telling you basically, here's my best stuff against you, and if you can beat me, beat me. How about Joe Blanton? He's also a free agent. Do you think the Nats are going to try and get him back? I'm not so sure that's going to happen because he's had his struggles. and uh, Isn't he getting up there in age a bit too? He is, but, I mean, you know, he's had his struggles. Uh, I think there are some better options probably uh, either in free agency or in the system already that you could probably go to. Uh, but, but, again, part of it is getting to them. You know, and I mean, Sean Kelly, I think, is probably done with this team uh, in in that regard. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Blanton. So some interesting decisions to be to be made. Howie Kendrick's another one, right? I mean, here's an integral part of your bench. Uh, so, so what do the Nationals do there? So well, another thing is we talk about bullpen pitching, starting pitching, and obviously you got Scherzer, Strasburg. Gonzalez and Rourke, but who's going to be that fifth starter? Because Jackson is a free agent as well. Well, Jackson's a free agent. I don't expect him to come back, but right. uh, you, you've, you've got the top four. You can probably look around and, you know, is it going to be an A.J. Cole? You know, is mm-hmm. it, uh, certainly guys that are in the system. Uh, and, and Cole got a chance to pitch pretty much the second half of the season, uh, and that was uh, – 
after Joe Ross went down. Yeah. Because Joe Ross had to have the Tommy John, so we'll we'll see. Could it be Cole? Could it be Ross? We don't know. Well, how well, long it's is not Ross? Gonna be, it's not going to be how Ross. Ross, Ross, Ross you're not going to see Ross until probably later in the year, like right. the last month or so mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. So, but I mean, that could be a situation where he sits out, you know, a good while. So, in recovery, mm-hmm. and you know. Again, that Tommy John's an interesting thing because mm-hmm. some guys it takes longer, some guys not not as much. We've seen guys come back in 12, 13 months. We've seen guys take a year and a half to almost two before they're you know ready to come back. It's going to be interesting. I, what's more interesting to you, the Nationals offseason or the Orioles offseason? Well, to, to me, obviously, the Orioles, because mm-hmm. of what they have to do to become competitive again, they've got to find, as Rich Dubroff was talking about, uh, you've got to find some starting pitching. But do you worry and about is, is that an Alex Cobb through free agency or, or a Vargas through free agency? Can you find something within the system that might work? You know, uh, Gabriele Noah mm-hmm. uh, already in the system got, got a chance to prove a little bit during the course of this past season how much he proved. Uh, are the Orioles happy with that? What they saw can can he take a next step? Well, all these things are, you know, I'm, I'm through with the Mike Wright, and I'm kind of, <laughs> you know, you know uh, because I, looking at it from afar, I just see Mike Wright better for me coming out of the bullpen. Mm-hmm. I well, mean, I really do. I think an inning or two of Mike Wright in the right spots can certainly, pardon the pun, be more effective <laughs> for this club than having him as a starter. But when you look at free agency for the Orioles, are you worried? I mean, we saw what happened when they signed Ubaldo Jimenez to mm-hmm. that contract. Do you think they're being more conservative with how they're spending money on starting pitchers, especially since you may want to save some money with the Machado situation after next year? Yeah. There's a lot to worry about, not just for this year with starting pitching, but you know the sluggers in the next year or two as well, trying to re-sign them to contracts that can be too much for the Orioles to pay. Right, and then you thought, think about after 18, is Duquette going to be here? Is Buck going to be right. here? I mean, a lot of things are going to depend on what this team does in the offseason to set themselves up for 2018. Chick-fil-A on a Sunday? That what? Sounds, that sounds pretty good to me. Impossible. Aren't they closed on <laughs> But anyway, Chick-fil-A on a Sunday? Well, with Chick-fil-A, uh, the reheatable chilled nugget trays. You can have them... Uh, at Chick-fil-A, and you can have them on Sunday because of those trays. That sounds awesome. It does. It, it sounds amazing. It's crazy because I only tried Chick-fil-A for the first time like three years ago, make and all, it shocks everyone. Make all your events remarkable with Chick-fil-A catering trays. When You can pick them up. They're great for tailgating, birthdays, office parties, birthday parties, Chick-fil-A on a Sunday. I that like sounds that. good to me. Sounds good. I just like the sound of that. Chick-fil-A on Sunday. All right. Awesome. The, the Nationals, they have gone ahead and uh, hired some coaches, and we're going to talk to Mark Zuckerman here in a short period of time. But uh, they made additions uh, to Dave Martinez's coaching staff, and uh, one of the things Dave told us was that he was heading out to the Arizona Fall League uh, to meet with some people, and also uh, he, he had some appointments out there he had to keep, and uh, certainly he was talking about uh, working on his uh, coaching staff uh, as soon as he left Nats Park last week. But uh, uh, certainly you, you look at this coaching staff, some, some pretty good baseball people. Uh, your, your bench coach will be Chip Hale. Derek Lilliquist is the pitching coach. Kevin Long, who you heard uh, Todd Dibus talk about, 
uh, one of the real reasons that uh, Daniel Murphy has become the potent offensive uh, threat that he has become. Uh, first base coach Tim Bogar and uh, third base coach Bobby Henley is returning to this staff and uh, also an assistant hitting coach, Joe Dillon. All of those moves made official by the Nationals this past week. And on the phone line right now with us, joining us from his home down in Virginia, is Mark Zuckerman from Masson and MassonSports.com. Mark, good morning. What's up? Good morning, Craig. How you doing? I'm hanging in there. I got I to gotta ask you. Well, first of all, one of the great things about Mark Zuckerman, he's got a little, a little boy named Brian who is now playing what? Uh, what what level of ball is he past T ball? It was coach pitch this fall. Yeah. Oh, okay. And uh, it's 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 great to watch this kid grow up. Mark will bring him by the press box every now and then, and it's just great to see him. I got to ask you about uh, first of all, it's been a, a rough week for Major League Baseball. Uh, the passing of Roy Holiday in the tragic uh, airplane crash right uh, off the coast of Florida in the Gulf of Mexico. And some of the revelations that have come out of that. First of all, your initial thoughts when you heard. Uh, I mean, I think like everyone else, just sort of shocked. And you know, I'll be honest, I hadn't really paid attention uh, to what Halliday had been doing uh, post-retirement and didn't realize how active he was as a, as a pilot and, and with these smaller aircraft. And, um, you know, obviously spent a lot of time and it had become a real passion of his. But, I, I, you know, I think like everyone else, there's sort of that... Uh, about a 30-minute window there where the news was out that the plane that was owned by him had crashed, but they had not confirmed that he was on board, and so everybody's hoping that maybe somehow it wasn't, and then uh, I think deep down you, you had a hunch that it probably was. It, but, you know, here's a guy, and, and I guess if nothing else, I've been glad to see how uh, much attention he's gotten this week for really what a phenomenal pitcher he was, and it's just been interesting to go back and look at his career and realize that this wasn't a traditional career. It took him a while in Toronto to sort of figure it out and become who he was. And then the peak that he had at the end in Toronto and then those first few years in Philadelphia were really as good as we've seen in this era of pitching, at least. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, is this a Hall of Famer? Probably. And, uh, I think, if nothing else, people are now going to really appreciate just how great of a pitcher he was. And then, uh, again, without being someone who had gotten to know him personally at all, listening and reading to what everyone who did know him, what they had to say about him, about what a tremendous person he was on top of that, it just uh, makes it all the more tragic. Well, you, you, I, I certainly dealt with him when he pitched for both the Blue Jays and the Phillies in in both clubhouses. Uh, but, I, but I was looking at the numbers, and you mentioned Hall of Fame uh, – 203 and 105, uh, a 3.38 ERA, a winning percentage percentage of 659, 320 win seasons, and he led the league in innings pitch four times. So from that standpoint, I've been I think the only thing that really kind of blurts out to me know that he's not a Hall of Famer is the 203 wins. I think you have to do a little bit better than that, but certainly. As you know, by watching him with the Phillies and 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 we saw him with the Blue Jays, uh, there were some years there where he was just as dominant as everybody. And everybody remember what they used to say about Pedro Martinez, and well, the win total isn't that great, but here's a guy that over maybe a ten year stretch was as dominant as anybody. Yeah, and you know there was that period, and, and again, I mostly followed him once he went to the Phillies. 
So he was facing the Nationals a lot. Yeah. There was that stretch there where if he was on the mound that night, you stopped to watch because you had a hunch that something special was going to go on. It reminds me a little bit of what Max Scherzer did in the last few years. Yeah. Uh, in just that chance at complete domination. And, you know, again, it's remarkable that it took him a long time before he finally reached the postseason for the first time. And then when he did, what did he do in his first career postseason start? One of the all-time great outings <laughs> of all time. You know, exactly. Against the Reds. Um, so it, it, it will be interesting how history judges him, but I think in this era of uh, obviously pitching stats aren't, the same as they used to be, and we have to view them a little differently in terms of longevity and win total and everything else. Um, this is a guy who I think is going to go down as one of the very best of his time. No question about it, and uh, he was a joy to watch, a sort of special. You know what? And I really kind of even think that I'm with you, and I know you said you basically saw him with the Phillies, uh, but maybe I didn't appreciate what I was seeing when he was with the Blue Jays. Uh, but you certainly appreciate it with what he did f- with Philadelphia and especially the run that they had uh, at, at that point in time. Yeah, uh, and and maybe it took uh, that trade for him to sort of get into more of the national spotlight. Um, the Blue Jays were always a team that was kind of under the radar, usually were around 500. It wasn't until more recently that they became contenders again. Uh, so maybe it, it had to happen of him going to Philadelphia on a world championship team that was a perennial contender there uh, for him to get his due. And uh, like I said, I think above all else, what's, what's been most um, interesting and, uh, you know, I think what everyone's going to ultimately appreciate is on top of all that, everything that we've read and heard about him now in the last week is about what a tremendous person he was, what a great father and husband, a great teammate. And I think it was um, it Brandon McCarthy, the Dodgers, pitcher who tweeted this line. I thought it was a great description of him. Uh, Roy Halladay was your favorite player's favorite player. Yeah. There was a ton of respect for him within the game. And I think uh, if you asked any athlete, that means more to them than anything else. Yeah, and and that's probably the one thing you take out of all of this is just what some of the other players uh you know, we're saying about him because while while we get a chance to go down into the clubhouse and talk to players, we're 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 not there certainly to get that kind of a feel for what the clubhouses are like, uh, you know, before or after games in terms of you know their private time. Uh, so so when somebody's saying that about you, uh, that gives you kind of an idea of what kind of a guy he was, what kind of a player he was, and what he meant to his team. Yeah, just a tremendous teammate and. Um... It, it, it's it, someone who's going to be really sorely missed, I think, in this in this game. And um, you hate that it would take something like this to sort of bring his name back into the fold and get people to fully appreciate what he was. Um, but, boy, you, you wish he would have been around a lot longer uh, so that we all could have more time to, um, to appreciate it and that he could have had more time with his family. Uh, to appreciate that side of his life post-baseball. We're talking with Mark Zuckerman here on the bat around, and uh, i got to get your thoughts, really, because we haven't talked since then, uh, the World Series. It's certainly, you know, a little anticlimactic in Game 7, but uh, that takes absolutely nothing away from the kind of series it was uh, with the, uh, you know, the Houston Astros uh, winning that thing in seven games. No, that was a tremendous series. And, yeah, maybe we won't remember Game 7 as being a classic, but we're going to remember the rest of that series (laughs) as being an absolute classic. I mean, those are some of the wildest uh, 
playoff games I have ever seen, and it, 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 you almost didn't need another one of those because it would have felt like too much at that point. You kind of needed a, a more normal game at some point there. Uh, the, the power that was displayed, the ability to come back when down late in games, the maneuvering that both teams had to do to try to get through those innings and get the final outs. I mean, look at ultimately what the Astros did, what it took for them to become World Series champions. They had a great lineup, of course. They had a great top of their rotation in uh, Verlander and Keuchel. But their bullpen was a complete shambles yeah. at the end, and they still won. And how did they do it? By some real creativity on A.J. Hinch's part to use guys like Charlie Morton and Lance McCullers Jr. and Brad Peacock, a guy that we, uh, we know from the, yeah. the Nationals a few years back, and to say, you know what, uh, I don't care if you're coming into the game in the fifth inning or the sixth inning. You're going to keep going. If you're effective, I'm going to let you keep going. I'm not worried about trying to manage this the way you normally would with a bullpen. It was a remarkable thing to watch, and I'm not saying that that's suddenly going to become a trend now because I would think it was a unique case where they just really didn't have late-inning relievers they could trust to get those out. But it was... To me, it was cool to see a team do it a different way like that and not just stick to a plan and have to adjust on the fly. Um, and all the credit to them. I mean, they earned that title because they poured everything they had into that. They used everybody they had. Uh, they used everybody in different roles. And that, that really was an impressive uh, title for that franchise to win. Well, you know, you and I have talked about this uh, again, and that's the the kind of the old school versus new school. It was nice to see A.J. Hinch manage from his gut. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. And, and what's funny is this is a team and a franchise that was built maybe more than any other in baseball. On analytics, around yeah. Analytics. yeah. Uh, that's how they built this team. That was the whole basis of the tearing it down a few years ago, starting from scratch, bringing in a lot of, non-traditional uh, people to run the front office who didn't necessarily have a scouting background but had a lot of stats-based background. And Look, it, it, it worked, and in the end, I think it's proof that you need both sides of it to be successful. Um, you can't deny that in today's game, the analytics do not play a key role because, of course, uh, they do. But when it really comes down to it, these guys are human beings, and when they're on the biggest stage and things are starting to go haywire out there, there's no computer and no manual that's going to tell you exactly how to get through that and how to win games in October. And you're right, you do have to manage games based on feel at that point. A.J. Hinch did a brilliant job of that, recognizing what was working and saying, well, hang on a second, if this is working, why would I want to change that? Right. And just going with it, and uh, it, it was a, really a remarkable thing to watch. And a lot of that comes from knowing your personnel and knowing what they can do. And I I loved Brad Peacock uh, after the one game. He just he looked over there, he said, don't take the ball from me. <laughs> he said, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I want the yeah. ball. <laughs> yeah, and that's who he was when we first saw yeah. him come up. Uh, that, that was very cool to see a guy. It took him a long time. He was a... 41st round pick, if I, if I remember right, of the Nationals way back in 2006. Right. Um, worked his way up, finally made the big leagues, was part of the Gio Gonzalez trade, uh, wound up going to Houston, and, um, you know, good for him to, to play that kind of role. Good for Charlie Morton, a guy who was really well liked around the game. Um, you know, the, it was a very easy team to root for, the Astros, I think, both because of the history of the organization, but also 
the people and the personalities on that team that you got you sort of got to know over the course of the month of October. Mark, let me ask you about Dave Martinez. Now he takes over the Nationals uh, after replacing Dusty Baker, who wasn't brought back. Uh, this week they uh, announced uh, a lot of his coaching staff. Uh, Chip Hale, obviously, uh, you know, he's going to be the bench coach, but uh, here's a guy that's got managerial experience. Derek Lilliquist comes over as the uh, pitching coach. And uh, ironic, that just seemed to be a swap, <laughs> if you will. Yeah, you don't see pitch, trades of pitching coaches very often. That was an unusual one, but that's the way it worked out. That's the way it worked out. Uh, again, we can go through these guys. Uh, Bobby Henley, obviously, is the, is the lone holdover. Uh, but, but when you look at maybe what the learners were thinking here, how quickly it changed. It goes from, uh, you know, Mike Rizzo telling us, uh, you know, before game two that, yeah, we're, we're expecting to talk to Dusty. Everything looks like it's uh, on track. And then all of a sudden they don't win that series and, and then he's out the door. Uh, it, it appears that this was a, a learner's decision and not necessarily Mike Rizzo's. Yeah, and I think that kind of became clear uh, pretty quickly after the move was made. And Rizzo would get out there and say what he had to say and be a good uh, good team employee. But I think, you know, if you, as, as I know you have, followed them all year long and no Mike Rizzo and no Dusty Baker, that was a good relationship between the two of them. And I really don't think that the result of a couple of games there at the end was going to change uh, Rizzo's mindset about who he thought should manage this team. Now, you know, look, that said, I think we all have to acknowledge that the Nationals, as good as they have been, that they have underachieved when it comes to October. This is a team that, quite frankly, looked like they were a better team than the Cubs in in the playoffs and outplayed them in a lot of ways and even arguably outmanaged them in that series and ultimately didn't win it. And so, you can understand why ownership would look at this and say, um, we need to get over that hump. This isn't good enough anymore. Now, the problem was you make that kind of move, and it doesn't matter who the next manager was going to be. There was already going to be a lot of pressure on this team in 2018 to win based on the history, based on the fact that Bryce Harper and Daniel Murphy are entering their contract years. So you knew there was going to be pressure on them, and now – they have put even more pressure on them to win because they've essentially said it's not good enough anymore just to win your division. It's going to cost the manager and his coaching staff their jobs. We're going to bring in somebody else, and now you know what? The bar has been set. You have to win it all. And that's a tough thing to ask of anybody. I don't care how good of a manager you are, how good of coaches you have, how good of players you have. Only one team can win every year. The best team has maybe a 20% chance at the start of the season, of winning it all. And so it's a tough thing to ask of them. And how are they all going to handle it, both the players and then Dave Martinez himself, that kind of pressure knowing what is expected of them this year? It's, a, it's going to be a, a tough challenge for them to overcome. Well, and, you know, you look at the playoffs just in general with the way, number one, the format is, number two, how the games play themselves out. I mean, you, you just look at game five, against the Cubs. You've got a 4-1 lead. Max Scherzer comes in the game. He gets the first two outs. You know, he gives up a bloop, a, a, a double down the line to a left-handed hitter. Uh, and then, of course, you have the, the catcher's interference, which isn't called. Uh, who knows how that shapes the inning. 
uh, there's just a lot of things that can happen in postseason games that no matter how good you are, you can't plan for. Jose Lobatone getting picked off at first base in the eighth inning. I mean, he gets back to the bag, but his foot comes off the bag. So, I mean, these are all things that you just can't prepare for. Yeah, and the great question, we'll never know the answer to this, is if any one of those things goes differently and the Nationals win that game, is Dusty Baker still the manager of this team? We don't know how that would have gone. but we, No, and, and I mean, is, is taking the next step going to be what's good enough, or do they have to get to the World Series? You know, obviously, if they win the World Series, then you, you've answered your question, but I mean, I just don't get it. I mean, you, you look at the three guys who got fired – and I understand that there were situations in Boston with Farrell and also Dave Dombrowski where Dombrowski said it didn't make any difference if we won the whole thing. Farrell was not coming back. And then there's obviously a rift a little bit between Girardi and, and Brian Cashman in New York. But, but again, it's just to me it's one of those things where be careful what you wish for. You know? <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And, and especially, look, Dave Martinez may be a great manager. We don't know that. He, but he might be. He certainly has the right pedigree. He's uh, played under and coached under some really good, really successful managers. He's won a World Series himself uh, as a coach. And so I think that counts for something as well. But until he's out there, and is in that position, nobody can say with any certainty how he's going to do. Uh, and that's the great question of this, and it's why there are no guarantees there uh, and why this is a gamble. It may pay off in the end. It also, you know, look, Matt Williams impressed a lot of people when he was hired and that first year one manager of the year, and how did things turn out there? So yeah. it, it, it is a risky run with first-time managers. A lot of them... Uh, don't have success, don't win championships. A lot of these guys, A.J. Hinch included now, actually win their titles in their second job and not their first job. Right. Um, but what, what I do like about the way they assembled this is, again, if you're going to get a first-timer, this is a guy who has the, the pedigree, a guy who a lot of people around baseball felt like it was only a matter of time before he became a manager, and he's won. And you've surrounded him now with a coaching staff of guys with experience and experience in October having won titles as well. Derek Lilliquist was on the Cardinal staff when they won the World Series, also when they went to the World Series again in 2013. Uh, Chip Hale has been around for it. Uh, Tim Bogar, uh, Kevin Long, the hitting coach, won a World Series uh, when he was hitting coach of the Yankees. He went to a World Series as hitting coach of the Mets. So there's a lot of success there guys who've been there and done that. Does that matter? Does it actually make a difference? I don't know. But if you were going to make this kind of change, you had to get these hirings right, not just the manager, but the entire staff. And I think they've done a good job of bringing in the best possible people they could, uh, given the situation. Well, certainly Long knows a little bit about Daniel Murphy. (laughs) Yes, and that was a big hire for that reason. I I think so, too. bigger endorser of Kevin Long and Daniel Murph, and that had to go a long way, I would imagine. I'm sure it did. And then now, what about Murph? Uh, we all of a sudden find out that this was a, a knee cleanup and not a hamstring, and now there's questions as to whether he'll even be ready for the start of the season. Yeah, and this is one of those tricky things. It doesn't happen. Not a lot of ball players have had this microfracture surgery. Um, it's a little bit of a, a tricky thing. It's 
something that my understanding is that it's typically going to be at least six months of recovery. Uh, so now you're talking right around April that uh, would be the full six months. And it's not necessarily one of those that has a track record that you can say, okay, once he gets through that rehab, he's fine, never an issue again. This could be something that plagues him. Remember, he's starting to get up there in age as well. I think he's going to be 33 this year. Right. Um, it's a little bit of a concern. Now, maybe it, it works out. Maybe he misses a little bit the start of the season, but you know has plenty of time to get himself going and uh, be his old self by the end of the season. But I think the Nationals have to be careful there and have to have a solid backup plan, whether that's Wilmer Defoe, whether that's bringing back Howie Kendrick, whether it's somebody else. I think they can't just assume that Daniel Murphy is, number one, going to be healthy the entire season, and number two, going to be the Daniel Murphy that we've come to know the last two seasons. It would be a shame if in the third and last year of his contract that that doesn't pan out, but uh, they, I don't think they can take that chance. I think they need to give themselves a solid backup option in case he isn't the guy that we've come to know. Well, it's funny because you, you, you look at everybody that got hurt last year, and whether it was a Brian Goodwin, whether it was a Wilmer Defoe, some of these guys that just performed uh, that you didn't expect to get that kind of production out of, that bodes well if Murphy is down for a little bit. Sure, and I think Defoe has earned the opportunity to maybe step in and be that guy. Um, but, you, you know, they 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 got to give themselves as many options as they can within reason. You can't go and spend a fortune on bench guys you might not need. But, um, you know, if Murphy isn't ready, I would think that Defoe is a solid choice to get that opportunity because, really, this year is going to be about evaluating Wilmer as well. Um, even if Murphy was healthy, they have a decision to make on whether they want to resign him or not as he gets well into his 30s. And if not, what's your alternative? Is Defoe the long-term answer at second base? I think that's something that they could use this season to help identify and determine if what we saw in glimpses last year is legit and if he is ready to take that next step. Our final few minutes with Mark Zuckerman from MassInSports.com. And uh, Bonds has got a quick question for you. Yeah, Mark. Um, it's actually a question for both of you. Uh, Craig, you and I talked about the uh, free agent situations. One position that we didn't mention was the catcher situation, obviously. Matt Wieters picked up the option, so he's staying with the Nationals. But who's going to be in the backup role as a catcher? Because I believe Lobotone's a free agent Mm -hmm. this year. So we know the catcher position did not produce much offense this past season. And I wonder what options do the Nationals have either within their organization or outside in the rest of the major leagues for that second catcher position, or will they re-sign Lobotone? Yeah, this is going to be a little bit of a tricky situation. Um, I do think Lobotone is going to end up elsewhere um, as a free agent. I think they've seen what he can be. He really struggled last year. Everybody loves the guy. He's great in the clubhouse. Um, but he really struggled at the plate and surprisingly struggled at the behind the plate mm-hmm. as well, which was not his reputation. And I think... If you knew you had uh, an elite starting catcher who was going to start 120, 130 games and be really productive, then you could live with a number two who doesn't do as much for you. But given the season Weeders had, I think the Nationals have to have a number two guy who in theory could step up and take over as number one if Matt struggles again. They have to be prepared to make that move. And so to me the real question here is, are they – ready to give Pedro Severino that opportunity Mm -hmm. to be that guy? Or 
If not, then they are going to have to look elsewhere, and now you're going to be spending more money to have another catcher, whether it's a Jonathan Lucroy who's out there, uh, Wellington Castillo. Would they make a trade for like a JT Real Muto of the Marlins? I mean, these are all good quality catchers, but you already have one making $10.5 million on your roster. Mm -hmm. Uh, They don't have an unlimited budget. If Weeders ends up not starting at some point along the way, you're going to have $10 million on your bench. How much else are you going to spend on the catching position? So uh, my guess is unless there's a real clear upgrade out there, um, somebody that, that they just feel like we have to go get, and I'm not sure there is that guy then I would not be surprised if they let Severino start the season as the number two guy. Mm-hmm. They hope that Weeders does bounce back from what was, you know, admittedly the worst season of his career. But if not, then be prepared to uh, to give Severino the starting job at some point along the way. One other question for me before I let you go, and that's the uh, back end of that bullpen. Uh, Brandon Kinsler is a free agent. Uh, do they resign him and kind of keep those three together? What, what do you think? I think they'd love to do it. The question is going to be if you're Kinsler uh, and you're a free agent now coming off a year in which, remember, he had 29 saves because most of those came with the Twins. Are there going to be teams that offer him a better deal and an opportunity to pitch at the end of games? Mm-hmm. The Nationals probably are not going to offer that. They're going to offer the seventh inning role again. and So it's going to be up to him whether that matters. Uh, or whether he's willing to come back in a quote-unquote lesser role, even though we know those are extremely important roles, and keep that uh, three-headed monster at the back of the bullpen together. Um, I would not be surprised if they go elsewhere, only because here's a guy into his 30s who is a pitch-to-contact guy. He was really effective at it last year, great at getting ground balls. But as we've seen the pattern around baseball right now when it comes to relievers, is you want swing and miss guys. That's mm-hmm. what Doolittle is. That's what Madsen is. Um, those are more likely to sustain success over time than the guys who rely on weak contact, as Kinsler does. And so I just wonder if they're going to want to commit the money that it would take to bring Kinsler back when maybe there's a, a hope of bringing in uh, more of a power arm instead to take that role. I think regardless, they need to bring in another lefty. I think that was sort of exposed in the playoffs. Um, when Nolly Perez and Sammy Solis were called on so much, I think they need a power lefty that they can trust to pitch in those late innings and match up, uh, regardless of if they bring Kinsler back or not. Mark Zuckerman of Mass and Sports and MassandSports.com. You can read his stuff right there. Uh, everything concerning the Washington Nationals. Mark, thanks so much for taking the time this Saturday to be with us. All right, my pleasure. Have a great weekend, guys. Uh, all right, Mark Zuckerman, and uh, we're going to hook up with Bill Latson. But first, we want to tell you Chick Fil A on Sundays. You up for that? Very. Oh, <laughs> sorry, I was quiet. Very much so. Broadcasting one on one, right button. There you go. <laughs> Push the mic. Anyway, uh, with Chick Fil A's reheatable chilled nugget trays, you can have Chick Fil A on Sunday. Make all your events remarkable with Chick Fil A catering trays. You can pick them up. Perfect for tailgating, birthdays, office, or holiday parties. And, of course, there's a lot of those coming up. Oh, yeah. So Chick-fil-A, the place to be. We're going to make our connections with Bill Latson. Now we're going to take a break. But we're going to take a break first, yes. And we're going to come back and talk to Bill about a couple of different things. Number one, what's new on the podcast, because uh, he's part of the newsmakers on the podcast. And uh, also, 
what is going on with the New York Yankees? And, you know, they fire a manager that gets them within one game of a World Series, and now they're out there interviewing everybody under the sun. And they got a lot of big free agents. <laughs> That's right. But they also have the Rookie of the Year, too. I'm very sure. true. Yeah, very absolutely. true. Uh, we're going to talk to Bill about that and a lot more coming back on the Bat Around. Everyone knows that Full Circle Tire and Auto in Abingdon, that's where I take my vehicle whenever I have any issue whatsoever. And that's because there's a Full Circle difference. They understand my vehicle is my life and they know they need to get it taken care of in a timely manner and work with me to make arrangements. In fact, the most recent time that I took my vehicle to Full Circle Tire and Auto, Dave, he simply gave me a ride home personally after I dropped my car off there. That's the difference they make at Full Circle Tire and Auto. You can stop in and see them. 1304 Governor's Court Unit 110 in Abingdon. Give them a call 410-676-2277. That's 410-676-CARS or find them on the web fullcircletirementauto.com. Guys, can you believe that we've been in Section 336 for 25 years? Well, yeah, 25th anniversary of Cannon Yards. Yeah, we've been in Section 336. Well, I mean, technically. Are we? Well, technically we're in 334. No, no, no. Section 336. We're in Section 336. Yeah, like our podcast, that's who we are. We're section 336. Every Monday night. It's Every Monday night, yeah. But, you know, when we go to the stadium, we tend to sit in 334. But the ticket screwed up. We're just, we can touch section 336. I walk past, I say hi to Ryan in section 336. Yeah, and when we say hi to Ryan, we can talk Orioles because we always do here on the show, section 336. Yeah, so section 336. Section 336. That's where we are. Just lie to him. That's Press us. box. Find Section 336 at the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com or by going to iTunes or Section336.com. Hey, it's Glenn, and you might not know this, but we actually have a great wrestling podcast. Well, it's an okay wrestling no, podcast. No, 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 don't sell us short, Glenn. This podcast involves the main event, AJ Francis. That means it is the best wrestling yeah, podcast. That, that, Look, just, just because you're bigger than us does not mean you're better than us. It does not mean you're the main event. The brains are the one that brings people to the table when it comes to podcasts, so it's me who brings people to job and out. Are you kidding me? Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone, you're the worst. Literally the worst. Like, no one has ever tuned in for your opinion. Got real, real, <laughs> real quick. It's jobbing out. Glenn Clark, Aaron Aaron Oster and AJ Francis of the Washington Redskins. He Terp. Every week we're talking pro wrestling. You can find it by going to Jobbing Out on iTunes or SoundCloud or by clicking on the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com. PressBox's Project Game Day is back at halftime of every game. Glenn Clark goes live on PressBox's Facebook page to chat about how the Ravens have performed thus far. And after the game, Glenn is joined by the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard, to break down all aspects of what went right or wrong for Baltimore. Watch live at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Project Game Day is presented by ParXL and also brought to you by the U.S. Army. We'll see you for Project Game Day. Kyle, here's the thing. Since we're streaming live now every day at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports, video-wise, I'm going to need you to step your game up when it comes to what you wear to work every day from 10 to noon. Uh, I hear you. I mean, I, I'm, they can't see my legs. I can still wear the chaps. Okay, that's fine. I just don't understand for me why they have to be assless chaps. I have the chaps that I have. Well, okay. And I have the toes that I have. This is what we do every day from 10 to noon. Glenn Clark, Kyle Ottenheimer for Glenn Clark Radio. I'm not sure that you'll learn anything. I'm not sure that you'll ever really be entertained. But afterwards, it's going to be a pleasant experience for all involved. How does that work? Yeah, don't worry about it. Glenn Clark Radio and Facebook.com slash Sports. 
They say you're only as strong as the company you keep. The U.S. Army keeps you in strong company. If you want to stand out, the Army can give you the training you need. To take advantage of the strong options waiting for you, visit GoArmy.com. You may qualify for up to a $40,000 signing bonus. Start your future today at www.goarmy.com slash football. There's strong, then there's Army Strong. Paid for by the United States Army. And welcome back to the Bat Around for this Saturday, November the 11th. As Craig Heist here, me, <laughs> and Bonza Tufa. Me. Yeah, there you go. And uh, we're taking you till 12. Stand the fan off uh, this week. Uh, uh, and uh, he will be back next weekend. And because uh, if he isn't, I don't know who he's got doing the show. <laughs> anyway, one day I'm going to be ending up doing this solo, just yeah, all could, by myself. Could very well be. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we've been talking a lot about the Nationals today. We talked to uh, obviously Rich Dubroff about the Orioles and what their upcoming off season may look like as they try to get some pitching together. Uh, but right now we're going to go back out to the phone lines and uh, bring in our next guest, and he is Bill Latson of MLB.com and Newsmakers at MLB.com, the podcast. Uh, Bill, good morning. What's up? How's it going? Thanks for having me. I'm good. Uh, now, uh, the first thing I want to do is, is obviously it's a tough week for the game of baseball with the loss of Roy Holiday, uh, tragically killed in a plane crash, a single-engine plane, which uh, he owned. Uh, off the uh, Florida coast and uh, in the Gulf of Mexico. And, mm-hmm. and I know you did a podcast uh, that uh, I shared and that uh, I put up online on, on Twitter as well, uh, where you talked to Richard Justice and Scott Downs along with uh, uh, Todd. Uh, yeah, right, exactly. And uh, just some of their impressions uh, and reactions of the loss of Roy Holiday. Well, number one, uh, they think he's on the table, all three of them. Um, Scott Downs uh, played five years with him, and uh, and uh, what was amazing is that uh, the guy was just ready to pitch. I mean, if you look at the innings pitched, always 200 innings, way over 200 innings. And uh, they thought of him as a great guy, too, so... Uh, he was more than just a baseball player. He was a great guy. Well, I think that's the biggest thing you can say about him. It was the, uh, you know, once this tragedy happened, uh, the amount of uh, outpouring from former teammates and people uh, within the baseball industry who knew Roy, uh, mm-hmm. and, and they talk about uh, the family man, they talk about the husband, they talk about the just the great guy that he was both in the game and away from the game. And when people are talking that way about you, it says it speaks volumes about the kind of person you were. No doubt, Craig. Uh, I mean, I, I thought the biggest thing was when uh, Cole Hamels, who is now with the Texas Rangers, went to the Phillies press conference to uh, talk about Roy Holiday. And the, to me, that told me how much people felt about him. You mentioned Hall of Fame, uh, and, and we were talking with Mark Zuckerman a little while ago. Uh, when you look at the overall numbers, 203 wins, 105 losses, that's a 659 winning percentage. There were three 20-win seasons, uh, led the league in innings pitched four different times, uh, a 3.38 ERA uh, over the course of his career. Uh, in an error 
what what leads me to believe that he's eventually going to become a Hall of Famer. And unfortunately, it takes a tragedy like this sometimes to make that come to the forefront. But while while I don't consider 203 wins Hall of Fame worthy, you certainly look at the, the from the time he pitched and when he pitched and the amount of years consecutively where he was one of the most dominant pitchers in baseball, that changes the mind of a lot of people. Because let's face it, uh, you know, I don't think we're going to see 300-game winners in our lifetime anymore. No, we're not. But, but Craig, you know what, what impresses me about Roy Holiday? Yes, you know, it was like 200, over 200 wins. 203. And yes, yes, and usually that's not enough. Right. I mean, I mean, we've seen people like uh, Kurt Schilling have a problem getting in the Hall of Fame because of that. But I think uh, Roy Holiday will get in. Uh, not only be, look at just look at the innings pitch. I think that's enough to put him in the Hall of Fame. And also, he dominated. I mean, the guy uh, won two Cy Youngs in both leagues. I mean, that, that's amazing to me. And I think he did enough to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Uh. No question. Great years with the Blue Jays. Great years with the Phillies, and of course the the postseason uh, start with the Phillies against the Reds. He winds up going out there and throwing a no hitter. And I, I remember yeah. sitting in the newsroom at WTOP and watching that game and just absolutely marveling as it got closer and closer and closer toward the end. And inning seven, eight, and nine. I mean, the drama was just so intense. Craig, I was there for that game. I was actually there. When, uh, when he pitched that no-hitter, and it was unbelievable. And uh, the Reds couldn't hit him. They just couldn't hit him that day. And, you know, I, I think that, that no-hitter almost, like, made him a Hall of Famer that day, to tell you the truth. Right. That's very, very possible, uh, and certainly a point well taken. Now, you do have the other story uh, about this tragedy that came out uh, this week, and that's the fact that uh, – uh, a radio talk show host uh, up in uh, Boston, uh, Michael Felger, uh, along with uh, he's part of the Felger and Maserati show uh, up there. But that 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 also gets uh, streamed on or not streamed, but uh, simulcast online or on TV through NBC Sports in Boston. Uh, and NBC Sports, uh, there was a story out this morning that they wound up suspending him for comments that he made about Holiday and the plane crash and the fact that maybe he wasn't, you know, flying the plane as safely as he could have been and, and basically saying, quote, he got what he deserved. Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit shocked by that. Actually, I shouldn't be shocked anymore with what people say in the media. But uh, that certainly is number one. If you feel that way, that's fine. But this is certainly not the time to do it. No, Craig. I mean, Craig, it was totally stupid. I mean, the guy um, who was trying to make a joke, but it was not a joke. You don't make a joke like that. And uh, and he, I'm surprised he wasn't let go, to be well, honest with well, you. Well, you know what? I got I to gotta kind of take a, a little bit of a difference of opinion with you on that. I don't think it was meant as a joke. I think he was dead serious about it because he not only linked him, but he also linked uh, 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 Dale Earnhardt. Into that same, uh, yeah, but still, that's not the time. I mean, yeah, it's why, why not the time. Say, You're right. Yeah, well, why, well, why, why even mention Dale Earnhardt? That made no sense. No, no sense. So, You're right. And and whether yeah. you, whether you want to say, well, he might not have been flying the plane as safely as he could have been, and that kind of thing. I mean, 
you know, and then he says he has no sympathy for him. Well, you know, there's a wife and two children and an entire family who are grieving at this point, you know, and that, that to me makes it unconscionable. Yeah, I mean, the guy, I mean, the guy should have been, I, I thought, Craig, he should have been let go. He should have been. And, uh, you know, it's it's really sad that he had to say what he had to say. Well, he since has put out an apology. Uh, oh, yeah, again, I saw that apology. But, and, but again, sometimes, me, sometimes those are too, too little too late. That's correct. He so. never should have said it in the first place. All right, let me get uh, let me get your uh, uh, account of what Richard uh, Justice, who we had on the show last week, uh, talked about in terms of not just Roy Holiday, but uh, you know what Houston went through as a city, uh, coming back and winning that World Series, uh, and then and then also you know how how that affected just the entire feeling of that city with everything they've been through during the recovery from hurricanes. You know, it was amazing, uh, Craig. Uh, it was good to see Houston win after all those years. And, and I think it's going to help the, the people in Houston, you know, get over the, uh, you know, get over the, uh, the, the storm that they went through and the hurricane. I, I think the bottom line is uh, they'll be talking about it for a long time. It'll be like the Mets winning the World Series in 69 when they won for the first time. You had to bring that Everyone, up, didn't you? Right, but everyone was talking about that for years, and I think this is the case where people will be talking about the Houston World Series for a long time. Um, it, not just because of Hurricane Harvey, but because of, you know, it's the first time in over 50 years that a you know Houston baseball team went all the way. So it, it was good to see. Good well, to see. One of the things Richard told me, he says, it just wasn't about the Astros winning the World Series. It was about that town in general because, you know, he, you know, they they lost a football team. They, right. you know, went through the years of the hundred losses in the early days with Altuve being there. Uh, so, so number one, everything he's been through in his career down there is really great to see such a great player uh, be rewarded with a World Series. But everything else, he just talked about just the fact that that's a long-suffering sports city where you have to go back to the Houston Rockets, really, to when they were, you know, with Elijah Wan and that crew uh, to be really good. So from that standpoint, when you live in a city that hasn't had a championship, boy, that's one of the things that can really bring it together. Yeah, I mean, they're going to be talking about this all year long, Craig. And, uh, you know, and, and rightfully so, because it was really a good team. I don't think it's over. I, mean, I think they're going to win more World Series as well, because they have a good enough team, pitching-wise, hitting-wise, to uh, go all the way. It's, it's amazing. And they, uh, they, they have a really good manager in A.J. Hinch, who managed this World Series, I think, uh, a lot of times, especially uh, the way he maneuvered that bullpen, uh, with with guys that aren't the normal back end of the rotation or back end of the uh, you know pitching staff, your closers, your setup guys, he managed it with some of his starters, uh, a guy we knew in Washington and Brad Peacock. Uh, right. you, you know, there's a lot to be said about AJ Hinch, and and from a team that comes from and being built mm-hmm. on analytics. He really mm-hmm. managed that World Series with his gut in a lot of cases. Oh, yes, he did. Um, that was amazing. You know, I would say towards the end, analytics had nothing to do with <laughs> why they won the World Series because he used um, those starters as his closers. And, you know, the, and the back end of the bullpen, as you would say. So, 
it, it's amazing. It's amazing how they were able to uh, get the job done and the, without really the help of their real bullpen because, uh, you know, Brad Peacock was one of those guys. He did a great job, and, uh, you know, I was really happy for him. It looked like he was going to cry. Yeah, he really did. Uh, and I think, you know, everybody, after all was said and done, a lot of people were going to cry after they won that World Series. Let me switch gears with you to the New York Yankees. Now, we've seen Dave Martinez hired as the new Nationals manager in the last week and a half. Uh, the Yankees are going through that process right now of trying to find the replacement for Joe Girardi. Uh, it was Eric Wedge on the interview hot seat yesterday or the day before. Uh, where do you see this going right now? You're up there. I know you're a Yankee fan, number one, but number two, you are up there. You're hearing all the reports. How do you see this thing going? Well, well, Craig, I think this is going to drag because I think they're going to take their time to find out who their next manager will be. Obviously, they want a guy who's going to communicate a lot better. If you want, if you want to base it on what Brian Cashman said, uh, obviously they want a guy who's going to listen to what the front office has to say and what the players have to say. So it's it, it's going to be interesting who they hire. It sounds like they want a yes man. So um, and obviously we know that Joe Girardi was not that. So uh, you know we have to wait and see. I mean we've heard even Aaron Boone's name as a candidate. So let's we got to wait and see. Well, how much of the analytics you know are a part of? what Cashman is going to do when he finds his guy in this. I mean, and I wouldn't necessarily think I, – I was kind of taken aback a little bit uh, with, with when I heard Eric Wedge's name. Well, because, yeah, he's kind of an old-school guy. I yeah. totally understand that. And plus he had a stroke. So I don't know if he's really a real candidate anyway. But uh, I think analytics has a lot to do with it. I was shocked that uh, – it's so funny, Craig. You know, during the ALCS, Girardi was asked, are the Yankees in the analytics? And he took offense to it because he said, you haven't been around our club if you don't know that we're into analytics. So, yes, analytics are going to be involved. But, uh, you know, I guess whoever's the next manager has to really embrace it and deal with what the front office has to say. Well, we had Susan Waldman on the show a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about the MVP and uh, I, I really think it's Jose Altuve. You could certainly make the case for Aaron Judge with all the home runs and the RBIs, but I certainly think Judge is uh, the number one candidate to win the Rookie of the Year. No doubt about it. He's the only Rookie of the Year. Um, because of what he did, not just offensively, but defensively, Craig, he really worked his butt off defensively. Uh, I, I don't see how he wins MVP. I, I think the strikeouts are going to hurt him in the long run. I mean, over 200 strikeouts, and that's just way too much. Yeah. And, well, uh, pa power hitters have a tendency to go through that. Yes. And, uh, and you know, it, it, what I hate about the game today is that the strikeouts are acceptable um, more than ever. Because I can remember Rich Jackson, when he's with the Yankees, he used to get ripped by his teammates mm -hmm. for striking out too much. I mean, if you read the Bronx Zoo, I mean, Sparky Lyle is, is ripping him big time. For all the strikeouts, but uh, but now it seems to be acceptable. And I agree with you, Craig. You know, you said I'm a Yankee fan, but you got to you got to give it to Altuve. Well, you got to be you, you got to give it to Altuve. I just think it's it's hard, and not just this, for this year. When when you look at four consecutive 200 hit seasons, 
I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's something that's very difficult to ignore and turn your head away from. Right, and also winning a batting title. Right. You know, he's won so many batting titles. So, uh, you know, I'd say Altuve was underrated until this year, until they went to the World Series. And, uh, yeah, he, he deserves to win uh, one. Question. Well, it's amazing what happens when, when players of that caliber who you think are underrated and then they get a chance to show it on the big stage with everybody watching. It's a, it becomes a different animal to them, man. No question oh, about yeah. it. No question. And, uh, I mean, this, this guy, even though he's small, the guy hits for power, drives and runs, scores a lot of runs. He does every, He's a complete player. He does everything he's supposed to do, a great defender. Um, what more can you say about him? What are, what are some of the things that you have in terms of concerns, maybe, or uh, if, if it's a certain issue that Major League Baseball is looking at, or just in general, some of the, some of the things you think will happen? First, we have the owners' meetings, but then the, when the winter meetings start up uh, the second week of December, what are some of the things you're looking for? I'm looking for a lot of trades. Um, unlike in the past, you have free agency. I think you've seen a trend now that people, that teams would rather make a trade than spend the big money on free agents. I mean, I'll give you an example. Look how tough it was for Justin Upton to sign a contract last year. And he decided not to go through free agency this year again because of what he went through, I guess, last year. So, I mean, I think now you are seeing now teams are going to make trades to get better instead of signing the big-name free agents. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how long it takes like a Jay Bruce to sign a contract. I mean, it could be a while. You never know. Well, it really was interesting because you had so many power hitters last year who thought they were in line for big-time contracts, and that did not materialize for them. Case in point, Jose Batista up in uh, Toronto, and now mm-hmm. and now he's looking for another job because you know the the Blue Jays didn't you know they're not bringing him back. So no, yeah, from you're, that, you're right, Craig. You're right. Yeah, I'm saying from that standpoint, that's going to be very interesting to see where some of these guys land. And, you know, the guy is is getting older. Too. The guy is 36 years old now. Uh, Batista, we talking about, and he strikes out too much. He had a bad year. It's going to be tough uh, for him to sign, you know, a big-time contract. And another guy, um, Encarnacion, look how long it took him to sign a contract. He really didn't get the contract he received. He did get, like, a three-year deal, but still, it wasn't a contract he wasn't expecting. He was expecting a lot more. Well, when you look at uh, some of these managerial decisions that are coming up, obviously – the Red Sox got their guy. Yankees are still waiting, still waiting to, to hire a manager. Uh, and, and the Nationals, of course, with Dave Martinez in the fold. But I, I read a column in the, in the, this past week, and the title of it was, Just Being a Good Manager Isn't Good Enough Anymore. <laughs> and there's a lot to be said for that in this game today. Craig, I totally agree with you. I think now... You see, I agree with that article because you don't have to spend a lot of years in the minor leagues to become a major league manager anymore. It seems like the impression I get, I have no proof, but it seems like the, the manager these days have to be yes men. They have to listen to what the front office have to say, what the players have to say. I think they have more power than the manager has. So, um, I think it's totally different. I think the days of 
the Billy Martins, the Gil Hodges, where they ran the show, mm-hmm. it's over. It's over. Well, it'll be interesting to see because, uh, you know, you have Dave Martinez now with the Nationals who spent 10 years at any given time, whether it was in Tampa or now with Chicago with the Cubs, Mm -hmm. uh, sitting right next to Joe Madden, one of the most innovative guys around. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see just exactly how that translates into the dugout because he basically comes in the same way Matt Williams came in with no managerial experience at the major league right. or at the major league level. Uh, Correct. But all but being handed a team that's basically ready to win. Right. I I have to think. You know. I hope I'm I'm wrong, but I have to think that uh, Mike Rizzo is like Matt Williams. Mike Rizzo is going to call the shots in terms of you know, of what, you know, Dave Martinez does. So we got to wait and see. We hope that he's his own man, but I just think that you're going to see more of Mike Rizzo's, you know, uh, finger finger um, tips on this than we just like he did with Matt Williams. We're going to talk with Bill Latson of MLB.com. Bill Bonds has got a question for you. Yeah, Bill. Um, you mentioned power hitters like Judge. You know, they're the guys who either – hit a home run, walk, or strike out. I was wondering, you know, John Carlos Stanton got the big 13-year contract, 325 mil, and then Chris Davis mm-hmm. had the big seven-year contract, over 100 mil. Do you think these teams are going to continue trusting these power hitters who either go for all or nothing, like Judge, who has 50-plus home runs but 200 strikeouts? You know, Chris Carter had 40 home runs uh, in his one year with the Brewers, and then he barely gets a contract with the Yankees. Do you think these teams are going to continue to rely on these big power hitters, or you think they're going to hit a cold streak? You should have you should have never asked Bill about Carter with the Yankees. <laughs> yeah, well, with Carter, with Carter is a bad example because the guy was awful. I saw this guy. Oh man, not only couldn't he hit on a on a regular basis, but he couldn't play defense either. He was that bad. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I don't think it'll be hard for Chris Carter to get a contract. But but to answer your question though. I really believe that uh, it's going to be tough for power hitters to you don't see uh, you know it's going to be tough for power hitters to get long term deals like Stanton mm-hmm. because it seems like once they get older it's going to be bad right that's how Stanton is in his late twenties now lucky for him but you know when he gets in his thirties and that you're going to see more strikeouts obviously and we'll we'll see what happens you hope he'll get smarter. But in some cases, you know, they just don't. Well, Bill, see what happens. Bill, we appreciate your time uh, today. And before you get out of here, uh, someone sent me online a column or an article from TMZ Sports concerning Josh Beckett, uh, who was allegedly, well, he was arrested for allegedly going full NFL linebacker on a country band, completely laying out the singer and causing injuries. What? So, wow. We have uh, obviously he know you know he won the MVP of the World Series with the Marlins uh, in their win over the Yankees in twenty uh, in two thousand three, uh, but evidently this happened uh, at an open mic night at a country club in Texas. So uh, Josh Becker could be facing uh, some some legal difficulties if this report from TMZ is correct. Well, we'll see what happens, Craig. I mean, I can't really comment on it because I don't know the whole circumstance, but, you know, we got to wait and see what happens. Well, I, I know you've dealt with Josh at various points in time, and I never really liked him all that much. <laughs> no, I never had a problem with him. Uh, you know, I dealt with him mostly when he was in the Marlins. 
and he was young. And he was okay with me. I can't complain about it. Bill Latson, MLB.com, and uh, he's got a podcast called Newsmakers, and uh, you got to go to the site and check it out. Bill, appreciate the time this Saturday. Thanks for having me, guys. All take right, care. Bill Latson of MLB.com. We're going to take our final break, come back, and wrap things up on the bat around right after this. What we do with our lives defines us. So consider a path that gives you an array of opportunities for your future. The U.S. Army gives you skills and experiences that make you a well-rounded person. With many ways to serve that align with your goals, you'll become a stronger individual. Find out more at GoArmy.com. You may qualify for up to a $40,000 signing bonus. Start your future today at www.goarmy.com slash football. There's strong, then there's Army Strong. Paid for by the United States Army. The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, Sandra McKee profiles Dr. Leanne Curl, not only the first female team orthopedic in the NFL, but also a huge part of everything the Ravens do. Also, 10 questions with Ravens kicker Justin Tucker and more. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. The Park Cell early phase unit at Harbor Hospital is looking for healthy males and females ages 18 to 85 to volunteer for a clinical research study. Length of participation and number of visits vary by study. If you qualify, you may receive compensation ranging from $1,200 to $8,500 upon completion. For more information, please visit our website or call 1-877-617-8839. Call now. Many people know about Goodwill through donating clothes and furniture. Did you know that Goodwill also accepts vehicle donations? Goodwill accepts vehicles in running or non-running condition. When you donate a vehicle, you can steer clear of all of the headaches associated with trying to sell a car yourself. It's fast, simple, and reliable, and you also receive a tax deduction. When you donate to Goodwill, know that your donation is being used to help someone find a job. Last year, we provided job training services to people in need of assistance because of physical, mental, or other social barriers and placed over 3,000 into jobs. To donate your vehicle to Goodwill, visit givethegoodwill.org or call 866-492-2770. That's givethegoodwill.org, 866-492-2770. Pressbox's Project Game Day is back at halftime of every game. Glenn Clark goes live on Pressbox's Facebook page to chat about how the Ravens have performed thus far. And after the game... Glenn is joined by the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard, to break down all aspects of what went right or wrong for Baltimore. Watch live at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Project Game Day is presented by ParXL and also brought to you by the U.S. Army. We'll see you for Project Game Day. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square can cater your holiday party, and now you can order the catering trays and delivery online. Go to Chick-fil-A.com and select Nottingham Square as your store and place your order. Did you know that Chick-fil-A offers the Grilled Chicken Bundle, a catering tray where everyone can build their own grilled chicken sandwich? Plus, Chick-fil-A offers chicken nugget catering trays with up to 200 nuggets per tray and chicken strip trays with up to 75 chicken strips. Call Steve at the Nottingham Square Chick-fil-A. You can pick it up or he'll bring it to you. That's 410-931-0031. 
And welcome back into the bat around for this Saturday, November the 11th. That's going to do it for us. Craig Heist, along with Bonza Tufa. Thanks for putting the game, uh, the show on the air today. The game? The game. Well, <laughs> we, we both have game. Yeah, that's very true. That's, that's very that's true. true. So uh, uh, thanks for doing that and making sure everything runs smoothly. want to thank our guest, Mark Zuckerman from MassInSports.com. Uh, we also had Todd, Todd Dibus of the uh, Washington Times talking about the Nationals. Rich Dubroff from PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. And also Bill Latson from MLB.com. Will you be here next week? Uh, I will be here. Look at the schedule, and it looks like I'm available to come in. <laughs> so we'll do that, and uh, Stan got, should be back next week. Yeah, you got a lot on your plate coming up these next couple weeks. So. Well, and today we've got Maryland and Michigan coming up uh, at 3.30 this That's afternoon. That's a big one for at, Maryland. At Bird Stadium, a chance to get back to 500. But with the Wolverines in town, that is a tall order. The Wizards and Hawks tonight down at Capital One Arena. And then tomorrow, uh, the uh, Ravens obviously on their bye week, uh, but the Redskins are home against the Vikings. That's a 1 o'clock start. That's a big game for the uh, Redskins uh, coming off the big win in Seattle Seattle, last week. Yeah, so that's uh, uh, a big game for them. And then uh, tomorrow night... Uh, the Capitals are back home. Who Who's starting for the Vikings? It's still uh, Keenum? Yes. Okay, because I know Bridgewater is going to be back soon. Soon, but I don't think that's the case uh, for this one. Okay. It's Keenum. So. Okay. Uh, again, uh, and interesting because uh, the Redskins with that win got themselves back to 500, so a chance to come back home and, and do something in front of the home crowd. Mm-hmm. We'll see how many people show up for it. <laughs> yeah, very true. want to thank all our guests. Thanks to Bonza, and uh, we will be back next week. Stan the Fan will be right here in this chair. I'll be sitting over there. So thanks for listening. Thanks for watching on Facebook, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>